0: Tail Lights Podcast fans, I've got a real treat for you here today as I was finally able to get all the editing done um, after two visits with Coach Devlin Lovell of Antonian High School there in San Antonio, Taps Private School. Coach Lovell has won 16 total state championships there at Antonian in track and field and cross country. Coach Lovell, uh, and you'll notice I do say 12 a lot in this, and I had it wrong there for a while. i pieced it together, so... It'll seem like, well, why doesn't he get it? But the reason is, again, I tried to put it in sort of a fluid fashion uh, as, as we went through the various topics and everything. So you'll notice at the very end also, I did put in two other pieces where I asked Coach Lovell about dealing with a tragedy at your school. Um, and then another one talking about the whole transition from high school to college. So if you're a high school coach that's thinking about transitioning to the collegiate level, this could be of a lot of value to you. Please feel free to share it with uh, your friends, and I hope you enjoy. Thanks for tuning in to the Tail Lights Podcast. I'm Eric Thormalen, and tonight I'm joined by 15-time state championship coach of Antonian High School,
1: Devlin Lovell. Coach Lovell, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. It's an honor to be on this. I've kind of seen some of the guys that you had ahead of me, and oh my goodness, I'm in good company, that's for sure.
0: Coach, tell us a little bit about where you grew up and what your parents did.
1: Okay, I I am from uh, San Antonio. I was actually born in Dallas. Uh, My parents got divorced when I was uh, really young, and so I came with mom to San Antonio, and and dad stayed in Dallas, but uh, um, you know, it was great. They have great, in fact, what's really weird about it is they actually live together now. They've been divorced for however many years that is, but they actually live together now as friends, which is awesome because my mom is just that type of person, but uh you know my dad was a he did multiple different uh, jobs his his main job was he was an excavator Uh, he worked in construction and new homes and stuff like that so he would do all the the land work for land prep for uh, drainage and stuff like that and had his own business doing that which was pretty awesome he did a great job at that and then my mom she did multiple different things she built apartments at one time she you know uh she did a dude ranch for several years actually that's the most recent thing that she's done is she had a, a dude ranch out in Pop creek texas she now lives in bandera but, but uh loved having people come out to her place and share and and ride horses and and uh all kinds of good stuff like that and uh, she really loved that and uh um, that's been a large part of her life for sure and so she's still there at that dude ranch She actually sold the ranch probably, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago now and has her own place in Bandera, but still, uh, you know, does the horse thing and does horseback rides for people and and stuff like that. But, yeah, she still she still enjoys uh, having people out. That's her deal. She just loves to be around people. How often do you go out to Bandera? I probably don't go out as much as I should. I do go out there quite often uh, because of the kids and seeing grandma and, and, and uh, or they call her Momo and, and they call uh, my dad Poppy. Uh, so uh, we go out there, you know, like I said, not as much as we should, but we go, we go out there probably about uh, once every uh, month or so to, to see how they're doing out there. She does a really good job. Uh, my mom coming come to San Antonio. She comes to see us a lot. So, uh, dad likes to tend to the garden and stuff like that. So he didn't come as much and he's a lot older than, than uh, my mom. So, uh, mm-hmm. but it's a, it's, it's a good deal and it's, it's good to have them close.
0: Well, I know, you know, that coach Fulkerson is the, I mean, he's probably 80% or more of what I do and what I do, but I started my career there in Bandera. Uh, are, are you acquainted with Steve Goleman? Yeah, I know Steve very well.
1: I've known Steve for a long time.
0: That was the first guy I worked for. He is a perfectionist. He is details to the max. I mean, that guy is – there were times that I would walk over to him and he would say, Coach, see that jug down there about uh, 300 yards away? That needs to be six inches to the left. And I would just – you know, I, as a typical younger guy, sometimes I would think about the details this guy was focused on as being crazy. Man, he's had a lot of
1: success. Yeah, he's whether it was Lando or, or Bandera or back right. in Lano. I'm sure he's going to do great there again. I mean, the guy is just—you know—he's—he's he's a great coach, and and it's—you know—there's so many, and I, we can go into this, but I mean, it's—you know—it's got to where. You know the coaches have gotten so much better because we're starting to hire coaches that actually love to coach. You know cross country and track and field, and and I think that's why you've seen a big swing in in the times, especially on the girls' side. I mean, it's it, You know when I first started, you know you ran twelve fifteen. You were fast. You run 12-15 today, and and you know you're not you're not very good. You're good, but you're not you're not very good. When girls are running, some girls are running now sub ten. So I mean, it's crazy. The the, how much it's changed since we started hiring coaches that cared about coaching track and cross country. Yeah. And I think that, you know, what, what's what I've learned in the past and believe me, it's taken me a while to figure everything out and I still haven't figured everything out, but I've got a lot closer to, to being a better coach. And, and that's what I always try to do is, is that, you know, as an old Theodore Roosevelt uh, quote, it says something like, you know, uh, they care less how much, you know, until you, they know how much you care you know and I think that's the big thing is if they care for you then they're going to do just about anything you want them to do and and that's that's the key to being successful as a coach
0: definitely can you maybe tell our listeners a little bit about how irregular is that at the taps level that the head cross-country head track coach because I think I have that right is that an irregular
1: deal to be the athletic director as well yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe at the small level, you know, when you have those little bitty schools, you may have more of that. But I, I don't, I don't recall anybody having the same position I do, where you're the athletic director and track and cross country coach at the same time. I mean, it's usually they're going to be yeah. the football coach, and and that's fine. Uh, I don't have a problem with that. But it us, usually doesn't happen the way it does, you know, the way it is now. And and so, but you know, that's the role that I'm in. I've been there for forever, and and uh, I love doing it. Right. Let's go back to. uh Growing up real quick when you were,
0: because you went to Clark High School. I right? sure did. Yeah. What do you do there at Clark um,
1: as for your extracurricular activities as a high school student? You know, I did just about everything. I, I started out with with the I thought I was a basketball star, and it wasn't great at that, obviously. And uh, and how I got into cross country was at that time, which I'm surprised it still doesn't happen, but doesn't happen nearly as much anymore. Is that they made us run cross country as part of our part of our conditioning because they had the athletic period that you could do your basketball skills in, but they also made us do cross country, so we were in shape. So all the things that we would do um, in the gym were going to be basketball related, and everything we did in cross country would be our aerobic stuff, which is so beneficial in a, in a game like basketball or soccer or anything else. And uh, so the cross country coach, her name was Janice Miller, uh, awesome lady. I said, you need to run cross country. You're really good at this. And so yeah, I felt loved. And, and so I was like, okay, I'll try. Ended up uh, running cross country for them and, and had a great time there at uh, Clark High School doing that. I played baseball as well. Uh, I made it a couple years and, and then I got cut. So uh, I'd had to try to find something else. But you know, I, one thing I really regret is I never ran track. Uh, I should have done it, but I didn't and uh, ended up uh, hurting me. I think in the end as a senior. Um, wanting to be really good in cross country. I just didn't have all that speed that I that I needed. But uh, in the end, it was a great experience. And, and I tell you what, I, I love Clark today. Um, it was one of the best places I ever went for high school. And so um, I, I really appreciated all the coaches there that helped me become successful. What did you do in the spring and set a track? I think I did what every boy did in high school, is chase girls and, and uh, <laughs> stuff like that. I, I didn't really spend a lot of time doing anything but that. And, you know, that's, and I, and I was a very social guy. I mean, I love to be around people and I think I'm just like my mom when it comes to that. And, and I just, uh, that's something that I like to do. And, and, uh, and unfortunately uh, the the cross country coach wasn't the track coach. So you had two different coaches. So there was no kind of, you need to do this and every day they're on top of you because it just didn't happen. And, Coach, I was saving that question, but I'm
0: definitely going to get to, you know, how important I think that might be, you know, as we go through this. But I, I will just say that – I mean, and I, and I also ask, with your kids right now that you coach in cross country, do you – you know, cross country is a year-round sport, uh, especially considered uh, by the UIL. It, it's a it's a year-round sport is, is what they say. Is it the same way in TAPS? Is it considered a year-round sport?
1: Yeah, all those sports that we, we call individual sports or lifetime sports is what I like to call them, you know, they have no start or end date. So they can participate all year long if they, if they want to. So whereas your team sports would have to have, you know, within season. So yeah, they, they do call it uh, where you can participate all year long. And so that's my
0: thing with cross country is, is that it's kind of an unmandated requirement that you're going to have to do you know, track and field, because if we're going to do a year-round sport, we've got to compete more than three months out of the year, you know, and, and exactly what you alluded to as having been a high school student should have done track. I mean, to me, the biggest gains I ever saw in cross country was when I was having those huge gains in track.
1: Oh, I agree. I mean, I tell our kids, you know, they pretty much have no choice and I, and I, they do have a choice obviously, but I tell them, listen, if you're doing cross, you're doing track. That's just, that's just it. And now some of them do baseball or some of them do another sport and I'm okay with that. And I always tell them, listen, you can do whatever you want. I'm a, I am a multi-sport guy. I want those kids to do whatever they want to do. All I ask them is, Hey, listen, give me three days a week when you're not in when you're not in you know, whether it's cross country or, or track let's say track because that's what we're talking about if you're if you're doing something else give me three days around a week at least we're going to kind of keep that fitness level up a little bit and then the sport will take care of the rest and then hopefully we'll be in good shape for cross country season when it comes around
0: yeah definitely so we went from clark high school
1: where do you determine or how do you determine where you're going to go to college well, you know, I have a very cultured education. I'm going to say that. I started out, you know, at, uh, at San Antonio College. I wanted to kind of get ahead and take a few classes. I wasn't a great high school student by any means because I had lots of other things that I was uh, pursuing. And we talked about a little bit earlier. And uh, so I didn't, didn't do everything I should do to get my grades up and, and do stuff like that. So I went to SAC that summer. My friends all went to Texas A&M. I really kind of wasn't a Texas AM fan. I really wanted to go to SMU. That's really where I wanted to go. My dad loved SMU, and that's just something I wanted to do, and that didn't work out. Uh, and so I ended up going to Blinn Junior College in College Station. My parents finally let me go, and so I went there for a couple semesters. I tried to get an A&M. I got an A&M for the summer. I had to get a 3.0. I didn't get a 3.0 end up going back to Bland, So, and then at that point, you know, I'm like, what am I doing? I mean, where am I, where is my life going? My mom had told me, listen, uh, there is no more, there's no more second chances. You get one more chance. And they said, I, I'm going to send you to, to East Texas state university. which is where my cousin was, was working at the time. She was a cheerleader coach there. And, um, and I said, well, that's great. You know, she said my mom told me well you need to talk to the track coach give yourself another shot to run at the college level and i said oh, i don't know i'm not good enough i don't know if i can do that she convinced me to do it the coach said yes you can walk on uh, i can't guarantee you anything ended up loving it there uh, one one year the coach offers me a scholarship I get to, although it was very small, but I did get a scholarship, and I ran the next uh, three years for East Texas State University, and and uh, that is a large reason uh, that I coach today. I mean, those guys gave me a chance, and um, and of course I was very determined at that point. My whole life changed. I finished school, which I didn't know if I was ever going to do, and you know here we are now. I'm coaching. Been coaching for. You know, it seems like uh, almost 30 years now. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's all because of that one thing that my life changed. And I truly appreciate those coaches at East Texas that uh, allowed me to be part of the team.
0: Well, Coach, and some of our listeners uh, heard last time about Coach Zayas telling us where East Texas, you know, is like, you know, East Texas State University is. But will you tell our listeners that maybe did not listen to the previous episode where that is?
1: Sure. East Texas is about an hour North East of Dallas. It's in between Greenville and, and, uh, that area in there, which most people probably don't know where Greenville is. And, uh, so commerce is kind of right, uh, right there off of I-20. Um, and, uh, it's, uh, you know, I just remember going there the first time and like, this is a lot different than Texas A&M. <laughs> it's, you know, it was a lot smaller than Texas A&M, but, uh, it was, uh, it was a great school for me and the best choice I could ever make. So what is the name of that university today? But today it's Texas A&M Commerce is what they've renamed it. And since A&M has taken over, the campus has changed. My goodness, it's like a, the Taj Mahal compared to when I was there for sure. Some of the kids that listen to this or some of the
0: younger people that listen to this, I want them to know, you know where that would be because so many places have changed from Southwest Texas becoming Texas State University to East Texas – becoming you know texas a&m commerce yeah yeah
1: and I, and I think and this is i'm probably stepping ahead or stepping on your toes on this one but uh, you know uh, today as the ad at a school and the track and cross-country coach I, I get so discouraged and i'll say that word lightly um that uh, all these kids all they care about is becoming a d1 athlete you know, there are a lot of great schools out there that could be great for you, meaning the kids that are being recruited or not recruited, and they don't ever give them a chance. And that's a shame. Um, it's it's, it's like, yes. a little disappointing. But uh, I tell you what, uh, if you really want to be an athlete, you can be an athlete many, many different places, not just at, D1, at the D1 level for sure.
0: Well, and it may mean a whole lot more money for you if you're not going to the D1 level, right? Absolutely. There's a whole lot of people that, you know, they get their mind fixed on D1 and they're going to get books. And there are people that go D2 and they're going to get 50%.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And have a chance to be successful. I mean, I think that's you know, at least at that level, you know, a bachelor's degree is a bachelor's degree. If you want to go somewhere that's big time to get your, your master's, Hey, go for it. Uh, But there's a lot of great colleges out there or universities and and don't, uh, I just, I I just feel that some of them don't give them a chance and uh, that's kind of disappointing.
0: Definitely. Um, So and you kind of alluded to, you know, going into coaching had a lot to do with the coaches that you had there at college giving you that chance. Was there anything else that made
1: you want to go into education? No, no, there really wasn't. You know, you know, Phil Williams and and Steve McBride, you you probably know Steve, you probably don't know Phil, but uh, they were both coaches over at, uh, at Commerce when I was there and, you know, giving me that opportunity was a big one. And it, you know, it wasn't the best ending to my career there. I can tell you that. And, And they could both tell you the same thing, but in the end, I had that fire when I left and when I got back to San Antonio Uh, You know, I I thought I was going to be a great runner, you know, and I'm working at the running store and then running races on the weekend, collecting $50 checks here and there, you know, and uh, it's really, it's really funny that, uh, and I'm probably going too far into this, but the Antonian is, was right across the the train tracks from where I was working, which is Roger Solar Sports uh, in San Antonio. And they had called over the AD at the time, Raymond Rapp had called over there and said, we need, a, we need an assistant coach for track and field. And uh, Roger Soller, who's a very good friend of mine and hired me at the time, said, Hey, why don't you take this job? And I said, Sure, I'll do it. You know, I, I hadn't been, I, I lived in San Antonio my whole life and never been on that campus maybe once or twice when I was a little bitty kid. And so, uh, you know, here I am now. I've been there for, you know, 20 something years. But it, it was, uh, it's just weird how that stuff all works out.
0: Yeah, definitely. So you take that job,
1: and that is what year again you know, for our listeners? That must have been 94. So I just, okay. it just graduated from, and it took me a while to graduate, and I told you about you know, my cultured university history there, so our wow. educational history. So once I graduated, I was working there sometime in uh, December, and that's when they had called, and they were looking for a coach for the new year, and that's kind of how it all worked out.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I I will tell you right now, I tell kids all the time, having been a high school principal,
1: these kids that would sign up for dual credit and
0: AP, I don't know what you're trying to rush towards because, you know, you get to be old most of your life, but you don't get to be young for very long. So uh, I kind of respect the fact that you weren't in a big hurry to be old.
1: Uh, (laughs) Well, I think my mom was in a big hurry, but I wasn't.
0: Yeah, I mean, of course, anybody that's on the hook monetarily, they're probably ready for you to grow up. But um, So you take that job, 1994,
1: and what's that like at that time? Oh, man. Go ahead.
0: Feel free to compare it with today if you'd like. I know we're going to have a block between here and there because you're going to be at Antonio for a little while and then you're going to go away for a bit and you're going to come back. Um, Feel free to compare it but also feel free to describe for somebody that's completely new to the education business, what it's like to take on that role.
1: Yeah, it was, it was definitely different. You know, I'd been public school my whole life. That's all I ever knew. And I went into a Catholic, a private Catholic school and, um, things were just done differently. Uh, they were, they were not, uh, not entitled, but it was a little bit harder for them to get moving when I wanted them to get moving. And, you know, it it just was different. It was very different for me. The school was, you know, it was at that time, it wasn't the most beautiful school in the world. You know, they needed some, some, some lawn work. They needed some stuff that they needed to do to make the school look a little bit better. And they hadn't done that because it was, there's the school is all tuition driven so if they don't have the students then they don't have the money to do some of the things that other schools would normally have or public school would have and you know it's still that way today as far as it's still tuition driven but you know we're healthy as far as the school goes but at that time you know it was it was different i went from a you know i remember from my high school we had i think about 700 800 kids in my class and we have 300 kids in the whole school I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a big difference. And uh, I learned a lot and we, we had a tragic accident within uh, probably a couple of years that I was there. And, 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 and I saw exactly where I needed to be at that time. We had a couple of kids that died in a car wreck and the school came together like I've never seen anything before. And it changed my whole thought on everything. I mean, this, this school was built around, you know, you know their faith, and at a public school they have that too, but you don't see it because it's so big, and you can't share it there. You shared everything, and and it was one of the greatest things I ever seen in my life, and one of the saddest situations in my life. I mean, it's but it it changed me, and it changed the way I looked at things, and and I've been happy to be there ever since.
0: When you're there for your first stint there at Antonian, how long does it take for you guys to win your first state championship? Well yeah that's a good that, that's a tough one yeah jump ahead if you want to add anything prior to that please go ahead and do so but i, I just want to you know i definitely want to ask that
1: yeah sure it's it's a great question and and so i had started there for track the 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 head track coach at the time uh, great man he's actually a principal at randolph now randolph high school now in san antonio had uh decided to move elsewhere and so because we had a new principal, our, our old principal, the one that hired me had resigned. He, he had retired. And then so we had a new principal come in. So a lot of things changed and for the better. And it's, it's one of those things where you change, you just never know where you're going to be and what you're going to do. Well, the, the principal, the new principal comes in and, and says, listen, I'd like you to, to teach classes here as well. Uh, I'd like you to also continue to do cross country and be the head track coach, which I'm like, all right, this is awesome. The bad news was I had to go back and tell Roger Seller, hey, listen, I just got a job that pays me a little bit more than you do, so I'm going to have to move on. And he's the one who sent me over there, so I felt a little bit bad about that, but he was very gracious and said, well, that's what you should do. That's, that's a great opportunity for you, and I'm glad you're doing it. So we start cross country. The previous year before I got there, they had seven runners on the team. And so I worked really hard. I talked to Coach Rapp, which was our athletic director at the time, I said, hey, listen, practices are in the afternoon. Can we please move them to the morning? It's cooler. I can get more kids to participate because everything else is in the afternoon. I can have those kids in the morning that may want to do two sports at the same time and make our team better. He says, there's no way you're going to be able to do that. I said, Coach Rapp, please just give me the opportunity to try it. Let me just try it. He says, okay, I'll give you one year. How, how early did you want to start practice? So we were going to start – at 5.45. Okay. Because there were no athletic periods. We, we, we didn't have athletic periods until just a few years ago, as a matter of fact. So we had no athletic periods. So we had to start before school started. I think the first bell ran like at 7.20 or something like that. I can't remember exactly what time the bell rang during those years. But So I had to get those guys in, run them, get them showered, and get, uh, get to class. And uh, so the first year, we got 24 kids out. Now they weren't very good, uh, but we had some pretty good kids and we were in TCIL that year. So the Texas Christian interscholastic league. So there weren't a lot of teams in the TCIL, but we were one of them and we had been just on fire all year based on that level. I mean, we were good state meet. We lose to Holy cross. So we lose, um, kids are frustrated. Oh, next year we're going to come back. We're going to do it again. Next year we beat Holy Cross over in the year and we'll lose at the state championship again. So we'll lose two years in a row. Then the school makes the decision to go to TAPS. TAPS is a bigger organization, gives us more opportunities and also a lot more schools. So we ended up moving to TAPS the next year. So Fort Worth Nolan Catholic was the cross-country school in TAPS. They had won, like, 15 years or something like that. I don't know how many. It seemed like forever. Okay, they'd won a ton. It may not be 15, but they had won a lot of years in a row. And so so the first year we faced them, they beat us. Uh, the second year they we faced them, they beat us. Finally, the fifth year, I think this was in 2000, maybe 2001, um, we won the first state championship. And uh, it, it was an amazing experience. We had been, you know, even that last year, that year, the fourth year that we were running, we had we tied them, but lost on the tiebreaker. You know, so we kept getting closer and closer and closer. And then finally, that fifth year, we were able to, to take it home. And then that was uh, a lot of weight off a lot of people's backs, including mine, because we had come so close. we had been second every year, every year. Until that one year where we won it. So it was a great year for us. And, and it's kind of propelled us to where we are today. How many do you win in that first stint? The first stint, we went back to back. So we won um, that year. Then we won the next year. And then the, also in that second year, the girls won. So we had we, I guess we had three at that point. And then it kind of went, it went south a little bit. We didn't win any more. And then I left in 2000, I guess would be the cross country season would be 2003, but 2004 track season is when I left to go coach in New Mexico. So we kind of, we kind of fell off a little bit and didn't weren't as good as we were in the before. So it wasn't until I came back. till we really hit pay dirt and and, uh, started really doing some damage when it came to cross country state championships.
0: And I do apologize if you can hear my dog snoring in the background. I told you earlier, I said, she's like Flash Roscoe, you know, old basset hound. And, uh, you know, she's just tired old thing. So um, you're going to leave to go to New Mexico. What, what's the number one motivating thing for you or the number one thing going in your mind that makes you think like, you know, because you're going to go to a, to the collegiate level, right? Right. So what, And I I just want to say, before we go to that level, like, I really want our listeners to know, and we end up being, there in Bernie, a team that wins state at the 4A level, which is the second highest level at that time, by 40-something points. And, you know, honestly, the only team that could have beat us, you know, my senior year was the Woodlands. We, We didn't race them ever, you know, but I'm pretty sure they could have beat us, right? The scaredest we were, going into any meet was Antonia. I'm going to, I'm just going to throw that out there for you because we, we were never very, I guess, you know, we were real raw in August. And so we had never won your meet before. We usually lost, I think maybe the new Brombles and we were real close with y'all. And so your teams, we, they had a lot of respect from us. You know, just just before we go on to the collegiate level, I just want our listeners to know that that that's how, you know, that's how I'm very aware of you and how I was like, uh, man, I got to interview this guy because he's done a great job at the TAPS level. Like we're a 4A team at that time, which a 4A team now is a 5A team for our listeners, is that, you know, when your team is that good, we're a team that's going to win state by over 40 points thinks about them as a serious potential threat to what they're doing, you're really coaching a great TAPS team.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I, we appreciate that. And I tell you what, uh, of course, I love Dave, your coach. And and uh, I, I know about every person on the, every one of those teams, you know, so it's, there's lots of respect back and forth. And, and I, we always told our kids, and I'm just going to tell you this. I'm sure Dave told you the same thing is, you know, for us, it, it, we wanted to win the state championship sure but we wanted to be the best team we could be we 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 didn't care about all the other stuff we wanted to be the best we could be if the best we could be was was fifth place in the tap state meet that year then that's the best we were as long as we worked our fannies off and were the best that we could be that's all i cared about and i never ever and i'm going to say this and people take this the wrong way i never cared about the state championship no matter what level because to me, it was more about being the best team we could be, and that's that was our mentality. As you know, the things will happen if you just do the things you're supposed to do, and you just got to get in there and you just got to go for it. And we were lucky. We were lucky, lucky, lucky that we had Bernie and we had Bernie Champion mm-hmm. at, later on. We were lucky that we had New Braunfels with with Coach Hanson. All those guys just made us want it more. And so your team. You know, my team, uh, Coach Hanson's team, everybody else that was in the area, you know, we were helping each other out is what we were doing. We were making each other better. And that's what I liked about it. And that's what we still do today is and I don't care what place we come in. We're just going to be the best we can be that day.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, in, in all honesty, when it comes to running, I mean, your best has really nothing to do with anybody else that's on the course. And. That's a hard thing for a lot of people to understand for whatever reason. I think a lot of people that don't understand it haven't done it. But if you have done it, then you understand that I go out there, I give my best, and I hope that I do well. But sometimes some people's best is better than yours. And I've had some really good teams that – I mean, you know, I'll give you an example. I had a mile relay team that had the school record in the place I was at. The next year I had a mile relay team that went to the state meet. We got – we were about eight seconds slower, (laughs) you know. And I couldn't be more proud of that team that didn't make it to state, you know, that that was faster. Both teams, though, gave it their best. And some years getting to state or winning state is different than, you know, than not – getting to state or being a, you know, bronze medalist or no medalist or whatever, but doing your best, that's the same. And that's where you're, you know, as a coach, I feel like, you know, you could be as proud as you can be of any group that you coach is if
1: they do their best. Well, absolutely. I I mean, I totally agree with that. I mean, it's, you know, I can tell you that last year, just in particular, um, in reference to what you're saying is, that we were not, and I can tell you this, and I, and I think the other people tell you is that we were not the best team at the state championship last year. Now, we won because we we ran the best that we could run and other people didn't, but, it, you know, that's the way it happens sometimes. I mean, you could, I mean, that wasn't our best team we've ever had at Antonian. I mean, it, it was a good team, but it wasn't one of the best teams, but it just depends on, you know, the circumstances and whatever else, and, and like I said, you know, you can only ask your kids to be who they are and just be the best of who you are. And if you can do that, we'll, we'll, we'll be happy with whatever we get. As a coach, I like to think that I've never asked anybody to be better
0: than I think they could truly be. But sometimes you do see people that they're not doing as much as they could do to be as good as they could be. That is a hard thing to watch when you know it. Um, but at the same time, you know, uh, sometimes you got to be the bad guy too and you got to sit there and say that's not as good as you could
1: be yeah and that's our jobs as coaches unfortunately unfortunately we get to do that i mean that's hey listen you know i know you can do a little bit better than that and and well no coach that's all i got no i think you got a little bit more And, and it's 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 all about coaching and how you present it and of course these days you know there's lots of ways to present it and uh and whatever way works for your kid, I think that's that's the idea and the model that you have to use. And I think that's part of our success is, is you know, relationships with those kids, you know, positive relationships. Yeah, I'm hard on them. Yes. And sometimes I'm way too loud and sometimes I don't do the right thing, uh, but they know in the end that I, I would do anything in the world for them. And I think that's a large part of why they're successful and why they believe in themselves.
0: Definitely. Without a doubt. I mean, that, that's a, that is a very good assessment of, you know, what it takes to be, I think, the kind of coach that really cares for them. I mean, you know, and, and puts them in a position to be successful. What you just described is invaluable to any program anywhere. What causes you, though, as, as we were segueing, let's go ahead and segue, what causes you to look at the university level? And what what was that transition like for some of our listeners that are going to, you know, determine that they want to go on, you know, from the high school level to the university level? What is that transition like and what makes you think that that's what you want to do?
1: I think that was always my dream. When I was at East Texas and I had ended my eligibility, I, I had a semester left before I graduated and the coaches let me be a volunteer assistant on the team, and I just loved it, and I I always loved being able to talk to people, and so I thought recruiting, which most coaches probably hate, I loved it. I love to recruit kids, so I thought what a perfect thing for me to do. I could go to the college level, you know, we've been successful at the high school. Um, Let me take that to the college level and let me be um, let me open up some more avenues. Let, let's, let's, see what we can do with and more, more than anything else. It's more about me just, uh, proving myself, you know, I know I can do this at the next level as well. And so I did, I, so I got a position in this small town in Hobbes, well, not small in New Mexico, but Hobbes, New Mexico, which is kind of like, uh, you know, Lubbock with, you know, lots of sand. I mean, there's, there's not a lot there. And so I get this job and I'm the guy that's going to start this program. Well, I take the job in June. And as you know, it's really hard to recruit when you take the job in June and you have to have a cross country team by August. So I took every person I could get. I took them out of the classrooms. I took them. You just come run. I don't care. (laughs) <laughs> and in the first year, we were horrible. I mean, horrible. And I told myself, I'm never, ever going to let this happen again because I know we can do better than this. So the next year, I recruited like crazy. I was all over the place. I'm the only coach. And we're in Hobbs, New Mexico. And we're I'm recruiting kids from Dallas, from California. I, I've got, like, kids from everywhere. I just – I told myself, if I don't try – to go for everyone, I'll get no one. So I went after everybody. And I didn't care if they told me no. If they said no. Okay, thanks. I appreciate it. You know, we'll move on to the next person. And so I got a good team in. So that next year, the boys win the cross-country title. They beat Northwood. And Northwood had won it like, I don't know how many years ago. Or they had won it. That's when Sean Wingett had just retired. And, and uh, one of his kids had, had taken over. His name was Nate. I can't remember his last name, but he had taken over. They had won, and we came in and beat them on the men's side. And it, like, shocked them. And during track, we came back, and and, uh, the girls won the the outdoor in the conference. And so we had just turned the corner, and it it was all – and I had another great recruiting class going into the next year, and then I get this opportunity to co-coach at UMass Dartmouth. And so I'm the assistant at the position was a weird position. Like we talked about before, how many ADs are the track and cross country coach? Well, now we're talking about the college level where I'm the assistant AD and the head track coach at UMass Dartmouth. So what a, what opportunity for me, I I got the job. So I was on my way to the Northeast and, and uh, that was another experience. And we can go into that later if you want to what what city uh, in Massachusetts for our listeners what city is that it's actually in Dartmouth mass so it's, okay. it's just south of Boston and uh, right on the ocean it's not too far from where they had uh, Moby Dick was filmed it, right uh, okay. right down the uh, down the road there Wow so you make the decision to go there and so yeah so I make the decision to go there so I leave the kids, which is the hardest thing. That's one thing I never, I never realized how hard that was going to be. I had to recruit all these kids and then I'm leaving them. And that was a tough thing for me. Like I said before, I'm a, I'm a, I, I like people. And it was hard for me to let down those kids and tell them that, listen, I'm leaving and I'm going somewhere else. And the hard part was I couldn't be very vocal about it because I didn't want those kids to leave either. I mean, the school, I wanted to, I wanted our program to survive. We had just started it two years ago and I didn't want kids leaving just because I was leaving. So I told a few and, and the world got around and, and uh, we lost a few, which was unfortunate. And I know some were upset and, and I, you know, I, there's nothing I could do about that at that point. Uh, but I made my move to Massachusetts and that was an awesome experience. It was a, a fantastic university. I love the people that I worked with there. Uh, I didn't get to coach cross country, which was a little bit hard for me. Uh, The, the head coach that was there before was still there. And uh, although he was my assistant in track and field, uh, he was still coaching track track or still the head coach of cross country. And so, you know, I went through that part. It was kind of a struggle for cross country. and, And I went to all the meets and watched them and had a great time. I just had to, have a different role, you know, as an AD and not as a coach, which was very difficult for me. Uh, but track was fantastic. We had a great year in track. Uh, our problems were in the Northeast. We didn't have an indoor facility. So we had to go to Providence or to Brown college uh, every day to work out indoors. And, and, and Brown was very gracious and letting us use their facility, but they let us use it when every other person used it. It wasn't like blocked off. So we would have, you know, these people walking lane one, we'd come blasting around the corner and it was, it was quite exciting. I can just tell you that. (laughs) And then we had a beautiful outdoor facility, but the bad thing about the Northeast is it's the weather. You're, you're, you're relying on good days when it comes to the weather and, you know, qualifying times are a big deal in the NCAA and the weather wasn't always nice and it was difficult to, to qualify some people at times because the weather just didn't cooperate and luckily we had uh, a guy there that uh, was the we had two qualify for the national meet and the one guy that, uh, that competed at the national meet uh won the national championship in the 110 hurdles it had nothing to do with me because i didn't know much about the hurdles but he was really really good and so i looked good on the podium when i was up there giving him his trophy but uh, it was a great experience, and, and uh, I loved my time in the Northeast, that's for sure. I, I had a pole vaulter like that
0: one time, you know, uh, that one state, and I always say, you know, in every interview I'm in, I say, yeah, I know nothing about the pole vault, so um, understand, if, you, if you're if you aware of this girl, please know that I had nothing to do with that.
1: <laughs> that's right. He, he had all the ability. He knew what he was doing. I just kind of just uh... – Make sure he stayed straight and narrow. That's all I had to do with him. Yeah. How long do you stay there? So I stayed there a year. And it's unfortunate that that it happened that way because I love that place. But I got a call. I stayed pretty close to the Antonian family. Mm -hmm. And the assistant principal called me actually probably right at the end of track season and said, hey, listen, the football coach and AD at the time has resigned and we would like for you to come back to Antonian. What do you think? And I said, you know, this has been a lifelong dream of mine to be at the college level. This is really what I wanted to do. I'm happy where I'm at. I, I have to decline. And so I did. And I declined. And, and then a couple of weeks later, she calls back again. She says, hey, listen, you know, we really want to have you back. At least give us the courtesy of Come to San Antonio. We'll pay for your plane ticket. Come to San Antonio. Just listen to us. And then if you say no, we're okay with it. I said, sure. No problem. My family's from San Antonio. My mom and my dad, or my dad had still living in Dallas, but he's close. So I move. I not move, but I I fly back to San Antonio and I go to the, the principal's office at the time. And, and he says, basically would like to have you back and you could continue the roles that you were before the cross country coach and the track and field coach and we also want you to be the ad and i told him i said mr signs i i appreciate you you doing this and, and believe me i still love antonian but there's no way you can pay me what they're paying me up in massachusetts he says i'll match it i said okay um let me think about this. I'll call you back. So I went back to, to Massachusetts. I talked to the AD over there. I said, listen, I know you're going to hate me forever, uh, but I have an opportunity to go back to San Antonio and uh, you know, I love it here. And she said to me, and she was such a wonderful woman. Um, she passed away a couple of years after I left, but Louise told me, she says, Devlin, you've got to do what's always best for you. Don't worry about us. We'll be fine. And so I ended up back at Antonio and that's where I've been ever since.
0: So you go back there to San Antonio and at, at the time, I mean, are you, are you married with kids or are you?
1: N- no, no, I'm still single at the time. I've been, I, you know, like I said, I'm a very social guy and, and uh, I just, uh, I wasn't into uh, getting married until I had to. So, right. I, so, so, I guess it was probably my first year back. It had to be my first year back. Um, uh, I met this wonderful woman that uh, that stole my heart. And um, so we decided to get married. We get married. And, you know, she's from, actually, she went to school in San Antonio, but then moved to Austin. So we had lots of similar connections. Uh, um, and then we, uh, we, we, now we've got two kids. One's uh, just started kindergarten. Uh, So his name is Ryder. And then my uh, oldest kid is in second grade and her name is Roy. So, uh, and I'm happy to say they're both athletics. So they take after me. (laughs) (laughs) What advice do you maybe have for
0: somebody that is really struggling with whether or not they should do it one year somewhere when they're really being told, maybe above that, you need, you need to go here.
1: It's a tough decision. and, And I think that, You know, whatever your situation is, and my situation was what it was. It sounds like I was just going for the money. It wasn't just for the money, it's because my home was in San Antonio. I had lived here my whole life. It's something my family was here. I was, even though I had friends up in Massachusetts and even though I had friends in New Mexico, I didn't have everybody that I grew up with and everybody that was a strong center port of my family around me. And it, when, when I got, when I got back to San Antonio, it was like weight off my shoulders. I mean, it wasn't like it was a, you know, uh, it was somewhere new. I mean, it was my home. And I think that's what people have to realize is, especially for young coaches that go into coaching, they want to be a college coach. You have to understand, which I, which I knew going in, you have to understand that at the college level, you're going to have to make several different moves before you get the position that you really, really want. Because you're going to start out at the lowest level. Then you hopefully get a break. You get another break. You get another break. So luckily for me, I was single and I didn't have to worry about dragging my family wherever I was going. So when I got back to San Antonio and I, and and I met my wife, Rebecca, and, and we got married, I told her, I said, listen, my passion and my goal has always been to be at the college level. But more importantly, my goal is to be um, a good husband and and a good dad. And so for me, um, I don't need to go to the college level anymore. I've done that. I've seen that. I'm happy where I'm at. I'm not going to move you guys around just because I'm chasing my goals because now it's our goals and not just my goals. You know, we'd all like to be the coach
0: of – the New York Yankees, if we're a baseball coach or the, the Boston Celtics, if we're, you know, a basketball coach, you know, or the Lakers or whatever. I mean, but eventually, especially if you, if you want to have a, a successful marriage and kids, you're going to have to make a decision that's maybe a little bit beyond, you know, your, yourself personally and, you know, more related to the family and everything. And so I think that's what you did, right?
1: Absolutely. I mean, that's exactly what I did. Now, you know, obviously, that was that was later on. So it but in the end, that's why I chose not to do that again. I mean, that's for me, I was happy doing what I was doing. I didn't need to, to go anywhere else. I was happy where I was, I was back really where I belonged, in my opinion. And so I wasn't gonna to string my family out just because I want to do something that I wanted to do I I I didn't want to be selfish in that in that point and I wanted to make sure that they knew that that I'm here for you guys um and that's what I want to do and that's that's my job is to be a good husband and a good dad
0: yeah so you come back to San Antonio and you've won
1: how many state championships coming back oh coming back you're gonna make me do math here now it's uh, a. uh, I, I don't, I, I, we've won 17 total. So I guess it's, uh, so 17. Um, I've been here for 16 of those so 16, uh, 16. So 13, 13 state championships since I guess, uh, 13 since when I got back, was that 2007, something like that. So right. crazy number, crazy number.
0: What do you think was maybe, I mean, again, sorry, my dog's knocking on the door and she is ready to come in. <laughs> Uh, come uh, what do you think was the biggest difference? Was the program built, or did you learn something while you were gone? Did you, uh, you know, what I'm asking? I mean, yeah, yeah, I do, I do know what you're asking. What's changed?
1: So, what's changed is a couple things. Number one is that I became more educated. Um, I became uh, really good friends with a awesome, awesome coach. Uh, his name is Scott Christensen, who is at Stillwater, Minnesota. Um, and me and him became really, really good friends. And in that, he he advised me, because he's like a exercise science guy. So he knows all that stuff. I don't know. Um, he, had, he just said, listen, you got to go out there and you got to put yourself out there and learn things about why you do what you do. It's great to know that you have to do this, but it's more important to know why you need to do that and when you need to do that. So I started taking all these USTF, CCCA classes. Uh, I'm now USATF, uh, level two certified. You know, all these different things that I was missing, now I've done because I don't want to be the guy that's behind. You know, as we get older, you know, I know everything. Well, I don't know everything. And I'm going to keep finding reasons or finding things that make me better as a coach. And it doesn't have to be just, you know, A plus B equals C. I mean, it could be just, it, it could be just about.
0: <laughs> My dog is.
1: Your dog loved it, man. He was excited about it. She's,
0: yeah. She loves track and field. And so when you get to talking about this level of it, she's
1: crazy. <laughs> Millie. <laughs> Thanks, Millie. I appreciate the love, buddy. So once I started taking these classes and once Scott said, listen, this is what you have to do um, so you kind of understand why you do the things that you do. And and it's not that you don't know that you have to do them. It's why you do them and when you do them. And so I became. Hold on one second. Sure. Hold on one second. That's it. Sorry. My kids came in. Let's <laughs> <No, laughs> see sorry. what dad was
0: doing. You you ought to see where I'm hiding right now to record <laughs> so I can get away from her eight minutes of
1: craziness. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so just to kind of go back and just touch on those things. So, you know, doing those education classes were, were so important for me just to learn about, you know, why you need to do the things you do and when you need to do them. And the more I learned... The more I became more educated and so I can definitely help those kids out because when I learn something, they get something more. And that's that to me was the greatest gift I could give them. I mean, although it's coming through me, I'm actually giving them the information to make them better. And we've gotten pretty good at what we do. And there's no end to that. I mean, there's when people say that you know I don't have to do classes anymore or whatever else. I'm, I'm like, you're crazy, you're crazy. Stay ahead of the curve. You want to be ahead of what everybody else knows. So that's that's the important thing. Sorry,
0: <laughs> she's getting religious in there. Honestly. <laughs> Sorry. So you were saying. Oh. <laughs> She's still going in there. Hold on one second. All right, no problem. Hey, eat your food. <laughs> okay, she's. <should> be- <laughs> but
1: well, you were saying that you wanted to stay ahead of the curve, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can never know too much, and I think that's a that's something that I live by now. I mean, every year I go to the USDF CCCA convention which is around December. Um, and it's something that's really helped helped me a lot. And it's been actually a, a total blessing for me. Um, and an honor for me is that I've been asked to do a lot of speaking engagements lately. And so that has made me so much better because I don't want to tell people things that are incorrect. So I've studied more, I've learned more, I've kind of, I've, I've kind of used that as also part of a way to help propel me and keep me on top of things that are new and are could help us be better. Would you like to mention any of the kids at Antonian that have like
0: really been a pivotal piece of the accomplishments and, and what it was like to coach those kids
1: or. We've had some great ones and I, and I could tell you that I could give you a few names of a, a couple just in particular that have been the best that we've had. And um, the, the one of the best we have had is Marcus Munoz. Marcos was an incredible runner for us. He, uh, a true leader, dedicated to the team, um, great teammate. Ends up finishing fifth and Texas at the Texas Relays mile uh, when it was loaded. He runs, I think, 420 that year. Um, so was that a bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In that race, and, and so it was. He well, was I'm sorry. what year was that? Like, oh, I, I that must have been 2001, maybe. Okay, gotcha. So, yeah, you know, I think Ryan Stansfield was in that. Uh, that uh, he had been running really, really well. Uh, uh, Kiko, there was, I mean, it was just an awesome year for him. He just right. uh had done numerous good good things. You know, John Matthew Hernandez ran for us a few years later, was 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 also a uh, fantastic state champion for us, and, and then uh, probably probably the most recent just animal that we had uh, that actually won the gold division at Round Rock or McNeil Invitational is Anthony Gallardo, who um, was unbelievable for us. Uh, And he, um, he was a state champion multiple times for us and, and unbelievable. When he went to college, he went to run for Stephen F. And I think his freshman year, he finished, I think maybe 16th in that region, which had Arkansas and, and all those guys in there. So, I mean, it was an incredible, incredible run for him. And so those three guys in particular um, were probably the, the elite. of, of we, Now we had the guys, the kids that were incredible. We've had lots of kids that were really good, but those are probably the elite of the elite when it comes to, um, uh, you know, those guys. But all those guys, I mean, you know, we're always there for the teammates. We're always working hard. And uh, that's why they were so successful.
0: If you find yourself enjoying this episode of the Tail Lights Podcast, please take the time to go and rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. How many years do you have till retirement?
1: I'm glad you asked that question because I get this <laughs> question all the time, and I'm going to tell you the same thing I tell everybody else, and it's the honest to God truth: I will die coaching. This is this is my passion. This is my love, um, and I can tell you the athletic director stuff can can go away whenever it wants to. Uh, it, it, wife likes me doing that stuff, so I keep doing it. But the coaching is what I love to do. Uh, and I, whether we win any more state championships or not, I'm still driven uh, big time. And uh, I, I'm not going
0: to stop. I'm glad you brought that up because I feel like that's a really important question to ask you for, you know, some of our smartest listeners that, that we'll have. And, I'm, and I probably won't even know who they are, you know. Um, honestly, I don't know who most of the listeners are so far. Um, Eight different countries, over 30 states. You know, with that being said, I throw this out to you is when you have the kind of success you have, how do you keep your kids hungry?
1: Well, that starts like two days after the state championship. We have our state championship on Monday these days, uh, or these, these last few years. And so Uh, When it's when it's over, I mean, we we celebrate and whatever else and we're back to work. I I just don't I I don't believe that we could. Now, it's it's not like, you know, we're all back in, you know, that, you know, in two days. But we start refocusing. Okay, what do we need to do to do this again? How is this going to happen? Because it's become harder now. Because now everybody's looking to you. Yeah. How are you? you Yeah. How are you going to keep this going? That means you have to work twice as hard to stay ahead of those teams that are working twice as hard to get to you. Well, Yeah, I mean, and I throw
0: that out there because, you know, the year we won when I was in Ozona, which was my third year, I found that I was not going to be coaching the distance runners in track. And so earlier when I asked you that question about, like, how important is it it to you to coach the distance runners year-round, that had a lot to do with it. Because it's good to, you know, it's good to know that you're not crazy, I guess, when it comes to the idea that, yeah, the distance coach needs to coach these kids year round. That's why cross country is a year round sport. You don't need to be the head softball coach coaching cross country.
1: Oh, I totally agree. I mean, I, I think it's a must it, that you have that same person person coaching both. I mean, it's, you've got to have the same because programs are different, right? So my program compared to your program compared to today's program, although they can be very similar in nature, but they're different in different ways. And so if you have different people coaching different ways, you know, I, I'm a believer of doing things one way. I mean, one certain way. Yeah. And that's the way that I do it. And so you have somebody else that coaches the kids and then the kids come back and say, well, coach level doesn't do it that way. Or, 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 or Eric doesn't coach it that way, or Dave doesn't coach it that way. You know, you need to have consistency from start to finish. And and in order for you you to be as good as you want to be, I believe you need to have the same coach throughout the whole year.
0: Yeah, I I definitely think so, too. I mean, otherwise it wouldn't be a year-round sport. You can't have a fall tennis coach that does softball in in the spring and, and, and have a spring tennis coach that does football in the fall. You know, I mean, if it's a year-round sport, it's a year-round sport for a reason. We do. We take a couple weeks off, you know, um, after the fall season's over. We take a couple weeks off after we're done with the summer. But I think you need to hear one voice. I think you need to hear one person that's telling you, you know, this is what the program is in order to be very, very successful. And I think there are so many places that because – there's no money in this sport. You know, we see it at the professional level. I mean, you're a guy like Leon Manzano, I mean, that's the only level, you know, there's a couple of distance runners that are going to make some money off of shoe endorsements and, you know, speaking engagements or something like that outside of that. If you're a distance runner, you're not, you're not producing any money.
1: Yeah, that's, that's, that's true. You're, you're exactly right. And you've got to have that consistency for sure.
0: If we're going to produce kids that are going to be successful at this and and be able to eventually beat, you know, uh, other kids from around the country at the Olympic level, and then eventually beat kids that are Ethiopians and Kenyans and things of that nature, you've got to have that level of consistency. Otherwise, we're just waiting for the next talented kid.
1: That's right. Exactly right. I, I totally believe that.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's unreal to me how many people don't get this sport. And I've even been told before that, well, as the head girls track coach, you know, you've got most of the talent because we're doing well. And you know what it's like. I mean, you know, you're making something out of nothing that's been there before. And people just say, oh, well, he's got a lot of talent. Well, coach, 15 state championships says you got more than talent. You know, uh, what, what coach Fulkerson did there at Bernie says he had a little bit more than talent, you know, I mean, you, you don't win state championships over that period of time, you know, with, with the, the different numbers of groups and just say, and just chalk it up to talent. And I mean, I've had people though, that especially in the small school world, I say this for our coaches that are in the UIL level, 3A, 2A, 1A, you really need to fight to, ensure that you're going to coach your distance kids all year round because when you're doing a great job in the fall somebody's going to probably try to take those kids in the spring because they want some credit for being a great coach and they probably are not and it's a shame when somebody does that so I I mean I just offer that up because I've seen it
1: firsthand (laughs) yeah no absolutely I mean it's it's and, and we have come a long way. I mean, yeah, there are still some things we have to clean up, and, and I agree with you on that. I mean, we, at least, we're now we have got coaches that love to coach cross country and track and field that are be give, given the opportunity to do, um, to do that, which I think is such a blessing. Uh, and not that the other coaches were bad at doing it, they may have been pretty good, but their passion wasn't with it. And so, being yeah. a great coach has to have passion. Absolutely. Your
0: girls right now, I mean, I don't know, you know, that you guys have had the battle at the TAPS, uh, you know, on the TAPS front that you had at the UIL front, you know, the UIL level, 5A, 6A, they're running 5K, girls 4A and under, they're running, you know, the two miles. What are you guys doing?
1: So, right now, we have gone pretty much what UIL has done, and so... but we do it by numbers. So what's the difference is, is that really, I mean, our largest level is 6A, but that's really like a 4A level. I mean, for the most part, it's not. So we use the two mile as our, as our, as our championship. And, you know, they bring me into that conversation all the time. And I tell them, listen, to me, it makes no difference. I'll tell you this, that if you have a bunch of coaches that are serious about coaching And they want their teams to be good. They're going to be good no matter whether it's two miles or five k. Yeah. Now, if you're talking about people that are just thrown in there to coach, and you're asking them to do five k, the kids aren't going to do it. So, it's not really. It's not really. It's it's a school issue from from my perspective. I just really think that if the school is really dedicated to that sport, then five k is not an issue. If you're just throwing the whatever coach in there just saying okay y'all gotta run 5k I, I think they're gonna struggle and uh to me it makes no difference because we're gonna be ready for it no matter what but some of those schools it just depends on who they are but i'm sure that's like that uil as well i think it's what it's the same what thing. Uh, what what percentage of
0: schools though do you think i mean because i you know again i just think about like I just think about, like, you know, the state of Texas and what I know, you know, from the perspective of what we have in our schools. And I've worked in a lot of them, a lot of different sizes, a lot of different, you know, whatever. And my, my whole thing is, is, you know, that, that's what I, I've been in some of these small schools where people want them to play football. And I get that because, man, the football coach on Friday night, nobody in the entire district is judged like that guy is. Right. And so he really does need all hands on deck. And, and I hate that sometimes because what the town is judging that guy on is not what's best for the kids. And so I've had some kids that have done football to help that guy out. It's not what's best for them, <laughs> you know? And so there's like this whole discombobulation of sorts, I guess you could call it, that I just look at it and I'm thinking – um, you know, I mean, like w- with regards to this whole discussion that we're having right here is, you know, I, I look at boys cross country or men's cross country, what do you want to call it at the collegiate level? They're running eight to 10 K girls are running five to six K. And now at the high school level, we're all running five K five, a six, a, I just don't get it. I mean, there's no progression for the girls like there is for boys. I really wish that the NCAA would go 8-10K for everybody. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, if I'm being honest, that's what needs to happen. I just believe in top-down, you know, like change, I guess you could say. And so, you know, like, like w- w- with our kids, you, you know, you your kids have a quality person, which is you, you know, training them for this. My kids have a quality person. Coach Fulkerson, you know, his kids had quality – Coach Hanson, you know a guy you brought up earlier, Coach Hippensteel, who I, I, I think a lot of there at Lockhart. Again, a lot there. There are people that do have quality coaches, but Coach, I think we could probably both agree when it comes to distance running, most people do not have quality coaching. And I went to college and I met a dude that had no quality coaching whatsoever at the high school level, and I thought, wow. And he made it to the same level I did.
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean, it, it, no matter what, no matter what you where you go, I mean, even at the college level, I ain't say that, but there are some coaches that have no idea what they're doing. What well, uh, and, and it's a college level. We're talking, not just high school.
0: If, so, if I had to make an estimation, if I had to make an estimation of all the head coaches within a given district, let's say there's just six teams in a district. Okay, at the football level, I would say probably the fifth or sixth person is better than the fourth best coach. I'm talking about on any staff, the fifth or sixth best person is probably better than the fourth best head coach in an entire district of a five, a school. Wow. I I mean, uh, that's crazy to just sit there, you know, and think about, I don't know that that's exact. It's definitely not exact. I've never measured it, but there's probably some, you know, there's some sense of that's not that far off that just still makes you because football is a big deal here, you know, and, and I get it. Uh, Basketball is a big deal, you know, track, I feel like it's still a big deal, but I mean, even in track, you know, you got a six person staff. If you, if you try to sit there and measure that against what, you know, your football coaches know uh, when you're talking about your top five, top eight football coaches compared with your top, five to top eight head track coaches. I mean, it's not, it's it's off the charts, you know, which that's what makes me feel bad when we up the ante like we have in, in terms of cross country before the NCAA does it, Yeah, you know? Right. Because there's so many kids in some of these really disadvantaged schools that you're giving no chance to.
1: Right. Agreed. All,
0: all for your own selfish, to me, for your selfish interests of I don't want somebody to pull an athlete out of a hat and run them against me and we don't make it to state because they pulled an athlete out of a hat. And I don't know if it's if, – if you've seen that at the TAPS level, at the UIL level, I know it's happened. And I know it really upsets really good distance coaches. But at the same time, I would rather lose and that kid have a chance for a scholarship than win and cheat kids out of a scholarship that didn't have a real distance coach on their campus and never have a chance at a scholarship. You know what I'm saying? Right, right, right. Is it is it that way at all at the TAPS level? I mean, could you – has the fight been that way? Has the uh, – do you see the diversity of what y'all are doing? Have y'all hit that level of contention?
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's – I haven't – I haven't really seen it. Um but I'm not, I'm not telling you it's not there. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's you know, maybe at the, maybe at the lower levels, I, I just, I, I don't listen, you know, for me, I'm just telling you about me and I, that's all I can do. Right. It, 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 I, I try, I put blinders on. I mean, I, I, I am so focused on what, what I'm trying to do and what I'm trying to help my team do. I, I don't, I don't do a lot of outside, you know, uh, uh, I guess, peaking or whatever else. I kind of keep keep myself on a straight line. And yeah. That's good for me. I mean, because that keeps me uh, focused and, and not worried about what everybody else is doing. Um, and and it's, it's just what it is with me. I, I just have always been like that. I just well, want to be straightforward, and that's and, it. And, and being straightforward
0: in that respect as well, for me, A lot of what I've learned has been in coaches' offices with, like, conversation like you and I are having. I mean, I've gone to coaches' conventions, and I've listened to, like, the canned speeches. And I've heard some that were really good. One of the best ones I ever heard was Coach Hippensteels, and it was certainly not canned. He went up there, he had a list of things he wanted to hit on, and he just went to town. Being around Fulkerson as long as I was, again, you know, there you're not dealing with a canned speech as well, Uh, Coach Goldman, there's nothing canned about him, (laughs) but I mean, you know, there's so many people I feel like, and I hope that will listen to this podcast that maybe they live very far away, you know, maybe they're in Amarillo or they're in El Paso or wherever. And so their district does not want to pay for them to go to Austin or college station or Houston or whatever the case is. And so this is their way to get professional development.
1: You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And (laughs) you're, I mean, and I can tell you Eric that you've been around, I mean, whether it's Scott or whether it's, whether it's Dave or or Steve, I mean, there, there is a, in this area, there there just has been now, and I can't speak for others because I don't know everybody. uh, But you've been very fortunate to be around some really good, smart dudes and uh, smart coaches have pretty good teams. I mean, in the end they, they just do because they know it's it's not just about the X's and O's, as a football coach would tell you. It's more about the kid and and how to get from point A to point B, and all those things that uh, that you need to be successful. Um, and I think that's you've been fortunate to be around some. good – I mean, your coach is one of my favorite, and he knows I I, I, I tell him that all the time. But uh, you know, he is a great guy, and Scott's a great guy. I mean, and that's why they're so successful because they know what the hell they're doing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're tremendous at what they do. The guy guy that I replaced here at Friendswood is another guy that I can sit here and say is that I'm so lucky to have been around. Steve Hoffelder uh, had a lot of success over here. And I mean, there's a lot of coaches, though, around the state. It's a huge state um, that, that have not they've not had the opportunity to be around these coaches, you know, to be able to get to know somebody or work under somebody like I have. And so that's what I really want to do, because if I can help those people, to me, I can help their kids. And we can't all, you know, we can't all work everywhere. And so how do you help kids everywhere other than this right here? I mean, I roomed with a guy my freshman year. He had no coach. And we had discussions about that, and I thought, and you're that good. (laughs) I mean – and, and there was a dude on our, on our cross-country team there in college on a full ride, and this dude was beating him. And I think there were a lot of people that were scratching their head, but the fact of the matter was it was because that guy that was beating him had never received any coaching. And yeah. it may be hard to reach those kids because they may never hear about this podcast, and that's fine, but at the same time, if we could reach some coaches that maybe don't know a whole lot about this and, and, and who to look to and where to look to, we might be able to help some of those kids. And that is ultimately going to help distance running across the state and the country.
1: And that's a, that, that, that's a great point. And if it wouldn't be for you doing this stuff, it wouldn't happen. So uh, you need to take some kudos on that as well, because you're putting this stuff together. You're putting yourself out there. you're, You're getting these coaches football, Uh, cross country, all kinds of great coaches I saw on your podcast. So uh, keep up the good work, man, because it is helping somebody somewhere and we've got to keep fighting a good fight, you know, so uh, for sure.
0: Anyone that wins as much as you do, it's not just looking at winning. You're, you're getting kids to do their best. And you explained that to our listeners earlier, how much do you feel like you have left and
1: what do you have left to prove or what do you have left to instill in kids for me? and, uh, as I said before, I can only speak for me and my personality and, and the things that, that I love to do. And as I said earlier, that for me, this is a passion. This is something that whether it was 24 years ago or whether it's tomorrow, I look forward to getting up in the morning and seeing my kids work out. And, and that's crazy coming from a guy who loves to sleep. Uh, I'm up and <laughs> ask my wife and she, she thinks I'm crazy but this is what I've been born to do. I think that you have to find that you have to find out what, what what are you born to do? This is for me, my mom always told me, you're going to be a teacher. I'm like, hell no, I'm not going to be a teacher (laughs) and and look where I am. I've been in education for all these years. I mean, it's just weird how that works out. Yeah. And, and so, so when it comes to how long will you do this? Like I said, I mean, I have, I'm not, I'm a fighter too, so I think that's part of my personality is that I'm going to keep going. I'm, I just, There's always more, right? There's always yeah. more, and not in a negative way, meaning that I can always learn more. I can always be more for these kids that I'm not right now. And so I talked about education, getting more education. And for me, learning, I'm not a science guy. I can't tell you all that stuff, but I'm going to work my fanny off to try to figure out what I do know, so I can kind of put pieces together to help those kids have an opportunity to be great. They're great, not not his great or her great, but they're great, are the greatest they can be. And that's that's my that's my thing, um, making a kid be as good as they think they or can be. Now, how sometimes it's not about thinking; it's about how good they can be right? Because sometimes we'll tell you, oh, I can't do it. Oh, yes, you can. And I want to show you how you can do it. So that's, that's my deal is that I, that's just what I've been born to do or bred to do. I think I don't, that's it's a bad word, but that is what my passion is. That's what my love is. And so, uh, you know, you'll you win one, that's great. You'll win two, that's great. I don't look at those. I don't look at those numbers at all. I mean, I know how many the, the school has won because right. everybody tells me, right? So, I mean, I know. <laughs> I, I could, as I said before, I, I don't. Well, then for me, and I guess you, you went a lot, you probably don't care. So, and I've heard that before too. My thing is, is just I, let's be the greatest team we can be this year.
0: Yeah. No. And if I, I can do
1: that, that's all I care about. To
0: me, that's the real measuring stick. And, and some years, you know, the, the best team is slower than the fourth best team the year before or whatever. I mean, that's, that's just the way the sport goes, and it, it's whatever. I mean, if you can leave the state meet feeling like I ran as hard as I could, that was it. That is the best I could have done no matter what. To me, you're, you have won.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. And I think that's, that's it. I mean, As
0: someone that, that does and I do, I preach winning because for me winning is that, you know, so some people lose that in translation, but for me, that's what winning is, is that you leave there knowing you had nothing left to give and no regrets to give down the road. If you have those, and I have those from a few races in my career, I do, You know, because I didn't give everything I had. But by the time I was done with high school, I gave everything I had to give. And 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 we were we were able to get gold medals out of it. So but if we hadn't, I would like to think that I could at the end of the day, I could hang my head, you know, in a peaceful and, you know, happy way or whatever you want to say and say that, well, you know, I was a winner because I did everything I could to win.
1: Yeah. And I think you've probably heard those what ifs. You know, I tell my kids that all the time. Don't leave yourself with the big F word, because if you do, then you haven't done everything that you need to do to be successful. I mean, don't give yourself those what ifs. And there's a lot of what ifs. You know, what if I eat better? What if I ran faster? What if I didn't skip a day? What if I did this? What if I, I mean, there's a lot of what ifs. Well, coach, and that's
0: why I'm glad I ran against Leonel Manzano because even if I had eaten better, like my dad always suggested, (laughs) I could have never beaten that guy. (laughs) I mean, and I I say that kidding, but I do tell my parents today, uh, you know, I say there's one thing you don't want me giving your kids advice on. It's diet. I mean, but in all honesty, and my dad was big time on this, is that you got to change your diet. and I you know, that that's probably the one area that you could look at from my own, you know, personal running career where you could say, what might that have done for you? Because everything else I was doing the max.
1: Yeah. Well, you had, you had the right guy leading the parade over there. I tell you you what, uh, and you know, this is, this is uh running is one of those things, you know, it's just, it's such a, it's it's such a uh, a great thing to do. I mean, it's, it, it'll it's it's hard and, and it's it, it but it's also gratifying and-
0: yeah three state champions just before you left antonio you got uh 12 cents you got four times more now and you met the right woman and you had two children what has your family meant to obviously other than the numbers i just described they've clearly meant a lot to what you're doing can you describe maybe for our listeners how important your family's been in
1: this process I think more than anything, they've kept, they've kept me centered, you know, on, on, you know, it's, it's great to be um, a a good coach and it's great to be um, loving what you do, but, but it's, uh, it's also getting that from, you know, uh, your, your kids and your wife and then support they give you and and they go to our meets and, and they're there for us. And when I'm pulling my hair out, you know, they're that calming (laughs) <laughs> you know at least try to be call me you know of course you know how I am so they have call me presence there and you know those are big things yeah I always know when I go home and, and that uh that no matter what no matter if if we killed it that day or, or whether we we struggled that day that I've got two loving kids and a loving wife uh that will think I'm the greatest in the world and uh that to me is all I need to know. I mean, I think that's really the, the, the thing that we all need. And, uh, you know, we try to be that way, you know, with our with our runners as well, our athletes as well. But it's a little bit different whenever, you know, that they're your kids, you know, they're your family, your wife. Right. And, and that uh, that for me is, is special. And then and, and she'll also tell me my wife. Hey, listen, you messed up today. So she's honest with me, too. So, I mean, I, I can take that as well. You know, you've yeah. done that. Why'd you do that? You know, so I, it's, it's one of those things that helps me um, refocus obviously. Um, and also, you know, she's the first one to tell me you were awesome. What you did today with that kid was awesome. So those are, those are all the things that you need when you, when you get home, you don't need, need to worry about, you know, um, other things besides just those little simple things. And I'm so glad that they're here for me to, to be that, uh, to be that. uh,
0: As I said earlier, you win three state titles in your first eight years there. You come back in 07, right? Right. And so 12 years, you've won 12 state championships since then. That's one a year. I mean, pretty much. During that time you've developed this family and everything. And I just think that for, for, coaches out there and for coaches wives and coaches kids and everybody else again that listens to this podcast i hope they all know that this is a family effort a lot of the time and it, it does when they say it takes a village sometimes the coach and their family they are that village what you guys have done at, at antonian is just nothing short of amazing and i i, I hope you realize that and I, and I hope those kids and their parents realize that and so much respect to you for what you've done there. There are people out there that think, oh well, yeah, at a private school, you know
1: <laughs>
0: at, at a private I hear school, that
1: all the time. Yeah, at right. a
0: private school where you're at, let me say this. This is the the one area where sometimes and I get into this with people is where you know that I interview is we'll talk about different types of schools. The charter schools that compete against the UIL sometimes I'm like, well, yeah, that's a little bit different. But when you're in the TAPS division, you're competing against people that have the same advantages and disadvantages as you, you know, when you're in the UIL division, it has changed a little bit, you know? And I I mean, in some cases, if you're at the six, a level, not necessarily, you know, you may still have 4,000 kids at your school and even those charter schools or schools that have a little bit more of what seems to be an advantage on the surface, they probably have half or 20% as many kids as you do. And so it's not quite what it is at like, you know, maybe the 1A, 2A, 3A level where I really look at some of those situations and I'm like, really? That school's competing in 2A or 3A? TAPS competing at TAPS level, what you're doing there is incredible. And it's every bit as incredible as anybody that's winning that number of state championships at the UIL level. People that are doing it at the UIO level at this point, sometimes they are competing against these charter school type folks. And again, that's another huge disadvantage and a, another obstacle at times. Um, but is there anything like that that you run up
1: against in the TAPS level? No, I don't think so. I, I, since we're all, you know, we all are bound by the same thing. Being a private school. You know, we all have to recruit kids, and that's a recruits a bad a bad word. But that's what I think UIL thinks is is the bad word. But recruiting kids, we're, we're you know the the thing about Antonian. And I can just talk about Antonia in particular. Right, is that ninety eight percent of our kids are Catholic kids. They're, they're not they're not coming from public school. I mean, if they come from public school, it's because they're Catholic. I mean, we we don't get a lot of public school kids. Most of our kids come from and this will impress you from the Catholic middle schools. Yeah. Yeah, That's where our kids come from. I mean, I don't know where everybody, I mean, everybody else's kids come from. i can tell you where our kids come from. And every year, I mean, for us, it's like the lottery. You know, I don't know who we're going to get, you know, it's who's showing up on our campus today to take the test and do whatever else. They have to take a test to, to get into school. They take the test. They, they do well, they get in. That's who we get. And uh, so it's, it's a little, it's a, you know,
0: Private schools is a little bit different. Do you have any stories you'd like to share about a young Robert Zayas? I mean, one of my favorite guys of all time kept me in. He really got me into the sport of track and field in a lot of ways. But is there anything you'd like to add about him?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, I, Robert got. Well, I guess he graduated the year before I got there, so I didn't. I didn't know him when he was at Antonian. Uh, but once he found out that I was at Antonian and I knew, I knew of him because he had run so well the previous year, at least for, for the TCIL, somehow we got hooked up. So I don't know how we, well, however it happened. I don't remember. And uh, you know, I said, Hey, listen, you know, are, are you running in college? No, I'm not running. I said, well, why don't, why don't you, why don't you let me talk to the coaches over at Texas and East Texas state, I guess it's Texas and commerce at that point um uh, let me talk to them and, and maybe we get you a visit up there and and uh, sure enough he he finally does and I, I don't know how long he stayed there i guess he graduated from there i don't remember but he actually runs there he actually sent me a picture of him running one time uh so he made me very proud you know i was a east texas state alum which i, I loved my school and uh and to see him out there running coming from Antonio, made me very happy so uh and of course, look at him now. I mean, he's a big wig, you know, doing all the big things he did in New Mexico <laughs> and then getting that job over at uh, New York, uh, heading up the athletic, uh, high school athletic committee. So he, he he's done good for himself. That's for sure.
0: I mean, it, it, it's really incredible. I mean, and when I went, my brother and I, we went to lunch and everything. I mean, it, it's crystal clear to me what, how he is the leader he is. Um, you know, of a state organization, he's so well-spoken. He, I mean, he gets it. He's about kids. Like there's just nothing missing in that guy. There's just nothing missing in him. I mean, he's just, he gets it.
1: Yeah. And he quits football to be a runner. <laughs> he's like the starting quarterback. I think, and he quits to be a, be on the cross country team or run, run cross country. So, uh, that takes some stones, so uh, good it, for him.
0: You know, one of the guys, uh, one of my favorite stories there about the uh, the, the national championship team from uh, Bernie, uh, Ethan Doherty, he was the starting runner, running back on the freshman team there, and he quit r- playing football to run cross country.
1: Yeah, I, that's, that's a awesome. That was a, it, it paid off for him. I'm telling you that winning that national did.
0: championship. Uh, Coach Lovell, will you talk just a little bit about the, the tragedy that you um, brought up and maybe some suggestions that you might have for coaches out there that deal with something like that, that maybe they can bring into the fold that would, uh, you know, help kind of, I mean, obviously in situation in many situations, there's no answer, but time and, and prayer and, and things of that nature. But do you have maybe something that, uh, you know, to offer up as a suggestion?
1: Yeah. Yeah yeah i think that uh patience has got to be what you what you go with and and that's not easy to do especially in 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 track or cross country when especially distance running when you have a specific plan and and you want to try to stay on that plan when something like that happens you know you just have to take a step back and just you know just you know understand that you know th- this is a life or, or these are lives that are lost and and there needs to be a grieving time. Now, I do believe, and I, I definitely visit with, with, the, with the kids about this when these kind of situations come up is, you know, there there's a time to grieve and we're going to grieve together and we're going to be a family and we're going to do all the things that we need to do to, um, to heal. Uh, but in the end, you, you also have to remember that sometimes going out on a run, especially um, doesn't have to be a hard run or whatever else, can sometimes... Uh, let those emotions and, and, those, those thoughts be free. And sometimes that's, that's a great heal or healing uh, um, uh, exercise to do because it allows you to, to, to free think and, and to, um, and to also do something that, you know, that makes you feel good about yourself. And I know lots of runners out there that, uh, that love running. Um, and, and a lot of people think they're weird. But in the end, that love and that passion for running is also a great escape for lots of people that have, um, you know, types of, uh, of emotional or, or mental anguish. And, and this allows them to to let that go a little bit, which I think is, is a very good uh, healing um, exercise. Yeah,
0: definitely. Uh, I know some of the times that I've gone through some difficult times and everything that working out has become a bigger part of what I do. And I certainly think it has helped get me, you know, through some things. Um, so I could see how that would definitely be a benefit. Was was that in a year? Um, I, it was during your first stint there at Antonian, correct?
1: Correct. Yeah, I was in. A, I guess it was probably my second year, or third year that uh, that it happened. Uh, we actually had two back to back. One not not as severe. We had a basketball team had gone to uh, to to corpus for a game and and we had vans back then you know there's not these nice buses that we have these days but we used like those 15 passenger vans which are i mean they're they're horrible as far as safety goes and uh, a, a drunk driver ran into the side of one of the vans uh, and flipped it over several times and 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 uh and caused some serious damage to some kids and 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 stuff like that and so um Wow. yeah i mean that was the first time and then uh, about a year later almost to the date we had some kids going to a football game in Jerdenton and and uh the uh, parent was driving about seven kids in a suburban and, and lost control and you know when they lost uh, the driver and, and and one of our two of two of our students passed away um in that accident i mean it, it was it was big um uh, because it affected so many people. And, uh, it was, uh, one of those things, like I said before, where it, to me, it was like, it changed my perception of, of private school. And in, in the sense that i had never seen a, a school come together like that school came together. And, and for me, that was, uh, that was a big, uh, a big uh, part of, of my life. And, and that's why I, I send my kids to private school today. It's not because I don't like public school. It's just because I love that faith formation that they're allowed to, to, to give and, 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 talk about and, and feel free to pray about when you need to.
0: Yeah, definitely. With, uh, with
1: Antonian, how many kids are in the school? We're about 720, 730 kids at our school. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. Um, so that's, I mean, anytime you have a situation like that, it it just about impacts everybody. That's why, you know, I, I bring that up. A lot of people that might listen to this might be at a school with 2000 or so. And they would say, well, you know, probably not that many people would know them or whatever, but in a school, that size, like, you know, that's, that's uh, right around the size that probably Bandera was when I was there. Um, is that, is that nine through 12, 700?
1: Correct, 9 through 12.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think Banderas is probably somewhere around that size, and, and you would definitely – that would be felt uh, campus-wide, I would think, by a big uh, Yeah,
1: <laughs> and, and at that time, we probably only had about 350. So and we're wow. talking years ago, so the school's grown lots since then. But, yeah, it was about 350, maybe maybe 400. I doubt that. And it, it was it was simply amazing that they did the – Um, you know the rosary in the gym and it was packed everybody was there the whole community was there it was just really eye-opening for me because I came from a large public school and and yeah that stuff happened but you know it it may have been masked here and there just because you didn't see it because you didn't know everybody but you're right you you know everybody knew each other at Antonio. so at that time yeah definitely in, in terms of making the transition from high school to
0: college, you know, one of the biggest things would be uh, obviously the amount of time. And, and I know you talked about sending, you know, reaching out to kids all the way in California or, you know, Texas or wherever. And, and, and uh, when we talked about this whole process and everything, how much time would you have to spend on the road, which at the time you weren't married uh, when you were there in New Mexico and, and then later in Massachusetts. But How much time
1: would you spend on the road doing all that recruiting? Oh, it it was it was all the time. You know, I didn't know that area very well, even though I, you know, had lived in San Antonio most of my life and and had a pretty good following in the San Antonio area. I didn't know anybody up there around Midland and and Lubbock and, and the Hobbs area. That's a little triangle in there. And so for me, it was not only. Not only recruiting the kids, but also getting the coaches and introducing myself to them because they're not going to just send kids anywhere. I mean, a, a good coach, I would think. I mean, that's what I would do is, is get to know the coach, and, and if the if the coach calls you and asks you about the kid, to me, that's a big step, and uh, that's what I would want to do, um, you know, or want to hear if I was the coach. So, you know, it was me getting to know those coaches, getting to know those kids, and I mean, I was going from Houston to to, to Lubbock. I mean, it, it, anywhere in between, I could find a kid. That's where I went. And, and that's uh, that was the extent of it. I told myself, I think I said this earlier, but, you know, at that time, we had a horrible year the year before, and I was never going to let that happen again. I was going to do right. whatever I could to – to not let that happen again. And, uh, I mean, we, we did a great job and got some lots of kids in there and, and, and did really well. So, um, it was a lot of hard work, but it was well worth it at the very end. What was your number one selling point about
0: Hobbs, you know, cause I mean, and I mean, no disrespect to, you know, Hobbs, New Mexico. I, mean, I think, I think I might've mentioned that we had run out there in, in Odessa, um, you know, at the West Texas relays and everything and, and Hobbs and, and, uh, There was another New Mexico team that would come out there as well to Odessa. I can't remember which one it was, but, uh, you know, to me, like a guy from Odessa from the human resources department approached me and said, "Oh, you guys are from Ozona and you're all the way over here at this big meet. You know, starts visiting with me. What do you think about moving to Odessa? And I said, quite honestly, this wind would push me right out of here. There's just no way. This is not for me. You know, and I was kind of towards the end of what I was doing there in Ozona and knew I was going to be probably not staying in the West Texas region for very long. I, you know, if you're not from out that direction, it can be uh, the, I mean, the people are awesome. And and there's a lot I miss about West Texas. Don't get me wrong. But um, all the way out to New Mexico, I guess what I'm what I'm trying to get to is what what for someone that lives in Houston, or lives in Austin would be a draw to go to
1: Hobbs. Yeah, you say that, and I used to kind of make a, a you know, a, you know, kind of little joke here and there about uh, kids coming out there. I'd always, I'd always tell the other coaches on the campus about recruiting and, and whatever else, and I'd tell them, you know what, this is how I sell the kids. I said, I'd always tell the kid, hey, do you like the beach? I think every kid loves the beach. Oh yeah, coach, I, I love the beach. I said, well, I will tell you what. Uh, I got all the sand and all the wind you'd ever want. I just don't have a lot of water. So uh, if you like that, we'd love to have you there in Hobbs, New Mexico. Uh, yeah, you're right. I did. It was difficult. You know, I think that some of those kids that I got from California, they never even stepped foot on campus until they drove up or they flew in. I mean, for them, that was a big shock. It was like, whoa, where, where am I? So, I mean, it was, yeah. it, was a, it was a big shock it was a lot easier to get kids from that area because that's what they were used to. They weren't, you know, they right. weren't from somewhere else who, who had a big city that was, you know, a little bit different than, than it was there in Hobbs in Mexico. And you're right. The people are great. I mean, there was, I have a lot of good friends from that area that, you know, I still friends with today and, and uh, but that's where they grew up and that's what they're used to. So you just had to be very careful about how you, how you talk to them. And I was very upfront and I, and I lost kids because I was upfront. But I would tell them that this is this is the way it's going to be, and, and understand that uh, you know this is the college, and and this is what the area is like, and 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 if they came in for a visit, I showed them everything, and so they got that uh, they they were aware of what they were getting themselves into um, if they decided to come to to New Mexico.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's an awesome response. Is you just be up front because if you're not, and then they come out there, um, well disappointment usually leads to, you know, disappearance. Well, that's my, might not be the right way to say it, but I just mean, you know, people aren't going to stick around long if they're, if they're sold something that's not uh, you know, to tell them that it's kind of like the beach, but with no water is probably pretty fair. Um, Yeah. (laughs) The, you know, uh, there's so many kids, I guess that I've coached over the years and, and I, you know, you'll have a college coach contact you about them and everything, and you kind of know their situation and you know, this kid's not going that far away from home or this kid's already accepted to A&M or UT or one of the big schools or whatever. Uh, what suggestions maybe do you have for high school coaches about how honest they should be with, when dealing with it? Cause you've been on both ends, you know um, what, what, uh, what advice do you have for high school coaches out there about dealing with college coaches?
1: I think every college, uh, every college coach needs to know the truth, and that's hard for a high school coach to do because you want what's best for your kids, and uh, you know sometimes you have a kid that's you know I could tell you, matter of fact that I was recruiting one of Scott HIPPENSTILL's kids at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, and he was very frank about about the athlete and uh, uh, good or bad, and and I love that because. I knew what I was getting myself into. Sometimes as a high school coach, you you just want, you know, you're really trying to help that kid get that scholarship or get that chance or opportunity to run at at the next level. But there may be a lot of things that follow that kid around that they're not going to talk about or they're not going to tell the college coach. And and what happens is they get there and they fail. And then the coach is looking at you like, why didn't you tell me before they got here? So I think being up front is really important. And that may mean that uh, not all your kids are going to get that, that look, but in the end, you know, you've got to be truthful with those college coaches because that's their job. That's their livelihood. They get those kids in, you know, they're, they're evaluated on how those kids do. And so if you're not, if you're not uh, Frank with them, uh, you know, you could, you could cost somebody a job down the road.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, some high school coaches, they don't know all the facts, of course, about the kid either, like what's going on, you know, with with their brain and, you know, what what they're kind of thinking about, what the family expects. I mean, we don't all know our kids perfectly. If you come in year one and, and that kid's a senior or a junior, you have a lot less time to get to know them. And so uh, it, it, would would you express any level of caution to coaches when – you know, dealing with with that college coach or whatever, as far as um, what's the right way to say this? I apologize. I'm trying to think of the right way to put this. But you hate to burn a bridge, I guess, with a college coach uh, that might recruit one of your kids down the road. If you don't know all the all the the real information about a kid that's a junior or senior, would you Would do you look at it that way? Or did you ever look at it that way? Because I've heard coaches say that like, well, I'd be careful vouching for that one because they're probably not going to go there. And then when you've got that one two years down the road, they'd probably love the opportunity to go there. And that coach is probably going to say, well, kids from that place ain't coming here.
1: Right. And that happens. I mean, I'm telling you, that happens. That's for sure. I think, you know, building relationships with with those college coaches, you know, is is. Real. Not, not every not every college coach is, is going to want to, you know, uh, go out of his way to to. To talk to you or whatever else, because they got a thousand things they're trying to do, and I get that, but if you can find ways to communicate with that coach and and, and build a relationship, you know I've had some kids go to Tulsa and and our relationship with the coaches at, at Tulsa have been fantastic, and they're always looking for more kids from our school because of the relationship that we built with them you know several years right. ago, and I think that's one of the things that's important is that You know, be candid. If you you don't know, you don't know. And I think that can happen, too. Uh, But in the end, I mean, I I know my kids really well. And I know what they're good at. I know what they're not good at. I know if they're good in the classroom or not good in the classroom because I'm with them all the time. So, and coaches know that unless they're just – too busy or or blind to it. I mean, but, you know, you got to communicate with those coaches because there are are opportunities down the road that maybe that one kid didn't get but somebody else could get and you don't want to burn that bridge for sure. Right, yeah, just give the information you can,
0: you know, as as best you can and and maybe make it pretty direct to your kids too not to play games with those college coaches for the sake of, of other people on the team that might look at going there, right?
1: Yeah, and that's, that's what I do, too. I mean, if you're going to commit to go to somewhere, I don't care where it's at. I mean, if it's Arkansas or it's uh, Hobbs, New Mexico, uh, it doesn't matter to me that, you know, if you're going to make the commitment to be part of that team, too. I mean, this is on my side telling my athletes then you better give 100% when you're there. If you don't want to give 100% that don't sign up, because at this level, it's different. It's not, it's not high school anymore. You don't have coach level you know telling you what to do and and keeping you out of trouble it's now it's on you and you're on your own so you're going to have to work harder at it so if you're not 100% committed then you might want to think of doing something else
0: you've got all types of kids though coach I mean you got kids that they want to go to uh, a school for certain academic reasons they're never going to give that school a shot but I mean you know I guess
1: you don't know if you don't fish so no I agree I, I agree yeah I mean they you know that's And that's what we ran into when I was in New Mexico as well. I mean, I I tell you what, Eric, I went after everybody. I I didn't care who they were. I went after them. And I can tell you, you know, just from my experience, now I don't know about other college coaches and and their recruiting style, but the kids that I thought that I was going to get, I never got. Wow. It was the ones that I didn't think I was going to get, Somehow I got them and I treated everybody exactly the same. So that for, for me was, that's why I always, I never going to give up on anybody. I'm going to go after everybody, no matter what they can tell me, no, I'll just mark them off the list and move on. But I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to give up on anybody until they told me no. And it was amazing. We got kids that uh, we should have never got in Hobbs New Mexico, but we gave them the opportunity and, and, they took it and it was great for that's us. That's kind of sure. the other
0: side of that coin then. And that's that's kind of some advice you might have for someone that's a college coach and, and maybe do at it and at a at a program that if it's anything like your first year over there, uh, which you did you know had described as not very fruitful, um, you know, stay optimistic, go to work recruiting and you know, maybe you land some of those ones you didn't think you'd get that end up doing some great things for you.
1: Yeah, that, there's no doubt about that. I mean, I, I, like I said, I told myself, I'm not going to let this happen again. And I am, I'm going to do whatever it takes. And I, and I went after everybody. And there was a lot of them that told me now, I mean, Andrzej, I went after Andrzej. He he told me no. And that's okay. <laughs> he talked to me like three times before he told me no. I mean, the kid went to A&M and, and you know, and, of course, his, his dad. And I talked to him on the phone. But, I mean, that, I wasn't afraid of anybody. I mean, they were going to have to tell me no and and that's uh that just kind of tells you that what that's what that was, my my philosophy was you know go after them all hope you get them all but even if i catch a few uh hope they're good ones so yeah. and yeah. we did we caught some good ones yeah absolutely do you have anything you would like to add
0: anybody you'd like to mention or anything you'd like to say
1: well i i just want to say thank you to you for doing this i, I said this before i'm going to say it again you do such a good job it's good to see Even though you weren't one of my kids, I I kind of, have somewhat adopted you. I remember seeing you attract me not too long ago. You came up and said hello to me. So that stuff means a lot, you know. I think that uh, that we as a community, a coaches community, I think can all work together to make everybody that we coach better. And you're definitely doing that with what you've been doing, and and uh, and then having this podcast. Uh, And of course, I love the. uh, the the, uh, the stuff that you're doing with it and getting everybody involved, I think that's a really cool thing. And uh, and I'm just uh, uh, honored that you would choose me to do this. And uh, I appreciate everything that uh, that you do for running and 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 then with your new website as well, doing the results. I think it's going to be awesome. Yes, sir. The official sponsor of this podcast is www.texastrackresults.com.
0: And let me just throw one thing at you because this might blow you away. When I was there at Bandera our offensive coordinator was the head track coach. And I, I mean, I went up to him and I, and I said something and he said, you know what? That was good. But you know what really impressed me was the distance runners from Antonian that were running the two mile. He, <laughs> he said, those kids, their watches were going off. <laughs> and he said, I, I could hear the, you know, the coach and the watches. And he said, and this guy now is a distance coach. <laughs> I mean, it it just really blew me away. I mean, the way that you won that guy over. I mean, he was a, a college quarterback, and now he's a junior high. Uh, he
1: does junior high cross country there in Bernie. How about that? How about that? And so, yeah, no, that's a, you know that's illegal to do that, but uh, to have those beepers going off. And, uh, during, well, during the I can edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> See, uh, so I, I got uh, just a, just a short story about. Dan Aldrich, you know, over at Fredericksburg, uh-huh. came up to me one day. It's devilish, you know. That's illegal to have those beepers going off. I said, "Well, it's not the conference championship, so I don't really care." <laughs> <laughs>
0: <So>. <laughs> Thanks again for listening, and please remember, if you could, to go and rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Until next time.